Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you showing man? <laughs> this is the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast on a busy, busy, busy day. Mario Balotelli possibly on the way to Liverpool. The entire Real Madrid team on the way to Man United if Paul Scholes has his way. And Malky Mackay going nowhere in particular for the foreseeable future, at least not to Crystal Palace after the Hmm, timely, untimely for him, release of some fairly damaging texts and emails sent between himself and his ex-director of football, Ian Moody. A lot going on, Ken and Murph. Mm. You look excited. Big day. Um, it's, it's exciting to be here in a position to talk about all of these exciting events with you on. Uh, very exciting. Did you, did you just have a, a soundboard on your chest? You just press buttons and something. No, it's that, exciting to be here. That could have been said at any point of any of the Irish Times I wholeheartedly endorse this product, service or podcast on. Richie Sadler is popping the studio today and Gabriele McCotty will join us. Gabriele on the Balotelli story and Richie on confidence as a striker. How do you get a bit of it? How do you hang on to it? And more specifically, why does Shane Long not seem to have a huge amount of it when he's got a chance to score a goal? Long's been named in the Ireland squad today. So a bit of a theme there. Good old-fashioned number nines. Number nine. Not Lofthouse style. Malcolm McDonald, of course, Super Mac. Andy Carroll. Dion Dublin. Uh, You're going for a very particular type of number nines. You really have gone for the classic bulky... Mark Haitley. I was going to throw in Dixie Dean. More of a goal scorer. Nah, Dixie it was getting far too many goals for the number nines we're talking about. <laughs> you mean a kind of a goal every three games type number nine? If you could erect a seven-foot wall, seven-foot by three-foot wall, and position him... Oh, maybe slightly to the right of the D, yeah. 25 yards out from goal. That's the guy. That's my ideal centre forward. He's not going to run the challenge, of course, being a wall, but he is good. It's, he's going to make sure it sticks up there. You know, yeah. if you hit it up to him, you know, well, you'll get second balls. Yeah, you'll get second balls. <laughs> Probably would make, make him stick either. But anyway, you know the type of player I'm talking about. Let's get into Kennedy's report on sport. Might as well start with the most salacious story. Oh, oh, oh. How could they be so vile? Is the headline in the Daily Mail, who have got a big story um, by Matt Lawton about Malky Mackay and Ian Moody, um, the now resigned uh, director of football or sporting director at uh, Crystal Palace. Now, this is just, this is, a, this is an amazing story. It really is. Um, 
So, I don't know. I mean, where do we even start? I suppose we start when Vincent Tan arrived at Cardiff City. <laughs> he appointed Malachi Mackay. Uh, over time, friction developed in the relationship. He didn't like some of the signings that Malachi Mackay and Ian Moody, who was then the football director at, uh, at Cardiff City, were making. He felt they were overpaying for signings. We all re- we remember this. This was a big story all last year. Oh, Vincent Tan was the pantomime villain in everybody's yeah. mind. We all Everything looked at him. that's wrong about football today encapsulated in one man yeah. Vincent Tan well you know Vincent Tan it made it easy to, he, he he did make himself the bad guy by doing things like um, changing the colour from blue to red and saying various silly things wearing uh, a jersey outside of his shirt no wearing those problem. sinister leather gloves so wearing the leather those gloves. leather gloves really looked they just didn't look I mean they did I didn't it's hard to trust a man wearing gloves quite that leather yeah, and he, he did look like he did. I mean, it was clear there was there was friction. But, you know, as far as we could see from the outside, you know, this this big bluff Scotsman, Malky Mackay, a football man of the old school, who's put together... Um, he might as well have been called Jock for, McStrap. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's no... I mean, that's the most Scottish name you've ever heard. He is. He's a very... He's, a, he's, an, he's an old-fashioned football man, you know? And Vincent Tan was a, a, very, a, a very much a new model football owner. And uh, there was... You know, it just seemed like um, uh, chalk and cheese, really, aren't He's a football uh, cliche from the 1970s. So, um, uh, anyway. Friction develops. Friction develops. And, and Tan keeps trying to get, get uh, Mackay to resign. And he's like, I'm, I will not resign. You can pay me off. Um, and this went on. Remember, it was around Christmas last year. It sort of came to a head. And, uh, you know, <laughs> essentially... Mackay, I remember, even was on Match of the Day after he got sacked, you know, getting a lot of sympathy. You know, people were like, oh, you know, you've, it's just so unreasonable what's happened here. You know, you've done, you've done a good job putting this team together in there, uh, and your owner just doesn't understand the game. You know, changing the colours from blue to red and various other things that he's done. Um, and and uh, anyway, Mackay started suing Vincent Tan for uh, £7.5 million for wrongful dismissal. Um so that was that was what was happening. Now I must admit, Owen, that in the lead up to the World Cup in May, I was not paying a lot of attention to this particular uh, legal battle between Malky Mackay and Vincent Tan and Ian Moody. Um, Ian Moody also involved there, and I missed Owen the following apology from uh, a following statement, I should say, from Mackay to Vincent Tan. This was in May when he uh, he announced today. I have reached a settlement agreement dropping all claims I have made against Cardiff City Football Club. I did not want to be in litigation, and I believe that it's in the best interest of all parties to have a clean break and move on. The club's owner, Mr. Vincent Tan, invested heavily in the club and supported our decisions in our push for promotion to the Premier League. Without him, this would not have been possible. If I have caused any offence to anyone during this time, especially to Vincent Tan, then I apologise without reservation. On the same day in May, Ian Moody also issued a statement. He'd been fired a couple of months before, um, okay? He said, Wherever mistakes were made during my time at the club, I wish to apologise for any part that I played in them and for any offence I might have caused, particularly to Vincent Dan and all City fans. Well, that seems like a pretty dramatic turnaround by both men. Really was. And a dramatic turnaround which completely passed under my radar, I have to say. I don't no, remember anything uh, that's about That's excusable it. at the time. I don't think any of us were focusing on that particular story. Um, and I suppose looking at that story in the face of it, you might have thought, wow, something 
seems to have happened there. Something's, something has changed in the, in the fundamental power relation between these two. I mean, you know, there we had, um, it, you know, wounded dignity on a monument, uh, Malky Mackay uh, demanding justice, demanding satisfaction. And suddenly here he is apologising for any offence he's caused, particularly to Vincent Tan, uh, that you, you almost thought, I wonder if something happened there <laughs> to, to make him change his tune so radically. And as it turns out, something had happened. Uh, because uh, what's happened today? I mean, it's quite it's quite dramatic the way this has all happened. I mean, Crystal Crystal Palace, like last week, two two weeks ago, Tony Pulis walked out in Crystal Palace. The reason being that he couldn't agree on transfer policy with the uh, with the club. Uh, he didn't, you know, they, they haven't been that specific about the reasons. But Steve Parish, the um, uh, the boss at Crystal Palace, uh, did explain. I can't. I, I've got a. I've got to keep controlling the finances. I've got to keep overseeing that. You know, it was clear that it was a transfer-related thing because he said as much. He said, you know, I can't allow, you know, without, that's, where, that's how we've got to this point and I'm not going to give that up and, and risk the future of the club, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. it was clear that this was what they were disagreed on. Now, Ian Moody had been hired by Palace and he was like their director of football. So he was involved in this transfer thing. And the story was that once Pulis was gone, the favourite to take over the job is Malky Mackay. Ian Moody's old buddy from... Uh, from Cardiff. It appeared to make a lot of sense on the surface, yeah. Well, that's not going to happen because, as we mentioned, Ian Moody has today resigned and uh, Malachi Mackay is no longer in the running for the job because the Daily Mail have published a story in which um, it, it, it turns out that Cardiff started to investigate these um, transfers that were going on uh, and ended up compiling a substantial dossier on Mackay and on Moody, which they sent to the FA uh, some time ago. Um, they also uh, they, essentially they were they were looking for uh, they were they were looking through these transfers. Tan believed that some of the transfers uh, players were being there was overpayment. Going yeah, and on. they employed a legal firm to who managed to get a court order to seize a lot of, uh, which is quite interesting to That's seize a lot the, of the, yeah, really the messages that. from from uh, Moody. Yeah, I haven't heard of this. Now they they actually this is his house was searched and computers and things like this were taken from his house. But it was not a police search. Yeah. It was done by a private company that had obtained a court order enabling them to search his house, which I found remarkable. I've never heard of that before. Although I suppose can bailiffs do that? You know, ba- I mean a bailiff is like a private entity. Can they turn up and, and go into your house and take your stuff? Can they are they legally allowed to do that? Well, repo man, that's what repo men do, isn't it? Yeah, so so I guess you know, it's you know, and uh, I mean apparently there's there's cases in which you know, say in civil cases, if, if one party fears that another party will destroy evidence, it's possible to get a court order to obtain the evidence before it's destroyed, you know, so you don't end up with a big bonfire full of bank statements or whatever out the back, you know. Um, so anyway, one way or the other, on coming through all this evidence, they discovered a few things. I mean, um, or at least they, you know, they say that they found they found certain things. For instance... Uh, and I'm reading now from the Daily Mail's article. They say the law firm are understood to have discovered a series of papers relating to certain transfers that were not included in official transfer documents. Investigators also discovered the authorization of payments to agents for deals in which there was no evidence of their involvement. One £600,000 transfer included an additional £600,000 fee to an agent. It's quite a lot of money. But of course, the thing that's actually hit the headlines here is not really the uh, stuff to do with agents. Which in itself is pretty explosive. Yeah, it's instead, this is the... Uh, a series of essentially their text, their private communication with each other, and uh, between Mackay and uh, Moody. Between Mackay and Moody, although I think they also say and others involved in the 
others involved in the club. Uh, and they don't. They, so they've got all, they've got a sample of some of these uh, offensive text messages, um, and they don't say who sent what to who, but they've got um, you know on the arrival of South Korean international Kim Bo, uh, Kim Bo Kyung, uh, effing chinkies, eff it. There's enough dogs in Cardiff for us all to go around, says uh, says one to the other on, on the signing of this uh, Korean player. Uh, on the football agent, Phil Smith, go on, fat Phil, nothing like a Jew that sees money slipping through his fingers. On an official of another club, he's a snake, a gay snake, not to be trusted. On a list of potential signings, not many white faces amongst that lot, but worth considering. Um, on a player's, uh, a young player had a female agent, I hope she's looking after your needs. I bet you'd love a bounce on her falsies. So this is, uh, these are all the, these are the kind of, now it's going to be... I mean, obviously, this is why Moody's resigned. Why Mackay is no longer in the running for that job, um, and who knows whether that's the uh, whether that's the limit of what will emerge from there. Um, I imagine the person um, taking great satisfaction from this is old Vincent Tan. Yeah, how is it that this uh, the Cardiff have become aware of this? Not Cardiff, Crystal I should Palace. say Crystal Palace, just in time. Is Cardiff it sent a dossier to the FA now as to how Crystal Palace have. Got, Crystal Palace have suddenly found out mm. I suspect it might have had something to do with the fact that they were just about to appoint Malcolm Mackay somebody decided to say by the way well in fairness I mean they could read all about it in the Daily Mail today <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's, that's the reason that uh, <laughs> that's the reason that Ian Moody's resigned today you know um, Mackay mired in tech scandal FA pro braces sexist homophobic sort of messages the full shocking details how could they be so vile sick texts emerge as Cardiff probe 50 million pound Mackay deals. When we've done some of uh, covered stories along these lines in the past, you have made the argument that you sometimes feel uncomfortable with the idea of private communication becoming public. Well, yes, absolutely. Does yeah. that hold in this case? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think so. I, I do think so. Um, I mean, even though you know, there's some. It is related to transfer targets. I mean, this, this is how they went about their business. That text there, you know, for instance, not many white faces amongst that lot, but worth considering. I mean, that's a pretty bad one, isn't it? You know, I mean, this is a guy who's looking. He's looking at it. That's. I'd rather not sign a black player. Yeah, that's. A, I mean, that's that's racism. I mean, you can't really, you can't dress that up any other way. You know. Um, I mean, people sometimes say, "Oh, well, we make the we make jokes along these lines." Of course, it's nothing serious. That's not a joke. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, at the same time, I mean, it is it is the, the case of, uh, I mean, you know, your private communication is intercepted. I'm sure uh, a lot of people would have a lot of problems. Um, I'd be surprised if there's anybody in the world who would like their private communications made public. No. That doesn't, but that doesn't make it any less remarkable when you read a story like this. I saw, it was broke late last night when this Matt Lawton piece was put out. and Straight away, it's just I one mean, of those stories that has an impact. It's amazing, isn't it? Not many white faces amongst that lot. You honestly... Really unbelievable You really would here, think right? that that would... I mean, that's so crazy, you know? For a football manager, seriously. Mm. I mean, Malcolm McKay is, you know, and it's for... Malcolm McKay and Ian Moody are both in their... You know, forties, early forties, like maybe maybe Moody's even a bit younger. Um, you know, to to if they really think on along those lines. But it's also when you listen to BBC Radio Five Live did a, uh, a program last year on homophobia in football, and you had all these guys like Stephen Reid speaking unbelievably intelligently on on the matter. You know, a sensitive topic. Him trying to make the point that look, you know, the way people view footballers isn't necessarily 
fair. You know, we, this the, the, it's it's not necessarily going to be an issue within. He talked about you know how that sort of thing would be dealt with in a dressing room. And you're hearing these enlightened conversations that are happening in public, and then you're hearing that a Premier League manager is allegedly sending those sort of messages in private. It, it makes you wonder how far how far advanced football really is. Mm. Yeah, like you in any of this. Sometimes stuff. you wander into you know. Uh, on Twitter, you wander into, into just a total black hole of just the most stupid and offensive things in the world. And you're like, right, this is, I need to just get out of here immediately because this is depressing. That's that's what that reminds me of. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, what else is there? You know, he's, uh, he needs to rename his agency, a French agent for this verse. He needs to rename his agency the All Blacks. Um, so there's a kind of a theme there. You know, it doesn't look like a good CV and he's Nigerian. Uh, is another text. So, so it's a kind of theme. I mean, the thing about this is that while, you know, I think that you do, I would continue to say, Owen, that it's... I can't generalise in the way that I'm doing there by saying just because Malcolm, Malcolm Mackay and Ian Moody have had this intercepted, it means that other managers might think along the same lines and say the same things. Well, it's it's difficult. To, it's difficult to know. I mean, what I suppose what this story does, does remind you of is that... <laughs> People's private reality is often very different from their public face. Uh, you know, it's, I'm not always saying that, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's always in this particular way, but there is often a gap between the face that somebody presents in public and what they're actually like in private. Mm. The quiet um, dignity with which Malky Mackay went about his business. Yeah. As Cardiff City Manager. Exactly. It's an example know. to us all. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, and, and, you know, then you've got this. But, like, you know, again, I, I, I still have a certain amount of sympathy for him because... This is, you know, what he thought was private communication. I mean, the lesson, I suppose, if, if there is one, is that you better make sure if you've got enemies like Vincent Tan um, to not to leave any openings. Also, aside from the private communications, the transfer dealings, if that is proven to be the case, uh, there's a whole issue there. Well, that, I mean, that's... In and of itself. You know, that, that, and we, we, hear, we hear rumblings about that all the time, that... You know, the, there could be dodgy goings on, and even as high as the Premier League in terms of how transfers are conducted and what managers may or may not be taking out of it. Yeah, in a way, though, you know, I mean, while while that's that's arguably, you know, for for instance, fraud fraud in transfer dealings is is criminal, you know, whereas sending racist texts is not criminal. Um, but which do you think is more damaging to your career as a as a potential football manager? I mean, think uh, in the texts. Well, you know, if, if this story was just about transfer irregularities would it even necessarily have been on the back page I'm not sure I mean oh, it I, uh, maybe it would yeah maybe it would but you know it's elevated into a kind of a, a huge story it's one of those stories that there's not a there's not a sentence in it that because, you can't that you, you don't find fascinating I was speaking for myself but I didn't find fascinating it's what because, well, you're getting more and more surprises as the thing goes well, on that's, it's a, I mean that's, that's what you're that's what everyone is interested in you know the chance to peep into what's really going on in you know, in behind the you know behind the sort of public facade, and you know you get to see this. Whereas with you know with transfer regularities, I think maybe people think well it bores people. That to just a goes extent. Of course that goes on. I mean, how the hell do you think anyone signs anyone? <laughs> of course, all the agents are getting bonged. I mean, that's the we all that's the way it works, right? I mean, we all I think we'd all pretty much accepted there was this parallel economy of bungs, which was which is lubricating all the mechanism of the transfer market, but. When this is going on, honestly, I was a bit, I was shocked by that. By that, the idea that I would have thought that managers at this level, and this shows how stupid I am, I suppose, but a manager at that level 
um, could not surely afford to have racist views. I mean, uh, I mean, because of the self-defeating nature of of such views. You know, if you're kind of if you're discriminating against black, and particularly players, that that one text that you guys focus on there earlier yeah. on about there not being well, a it's white not, place. Well, it's not. I mean, there's a, there's lots of offensive. No, but text. In, in terms of the co- the context of what you're yeah. saying there, so, that's actually affecting judgment aside from the distastefulness yeah, of it's, it. It's a, yeah. exactly. It's it's uh, you know it's um, worse than a what is the phrase worse than a crime it's a mistake or something yeah. like that it's like see, the, the thing that I you know when you watch uh, say a rugby manager speak or you know say the GA the, like managers who reach the top in their professions a lot of the time you just look at these guys and say right they're obviously really really smart and that if they have failings as a manager it's it's down to something else you know but they're, ob- they're really really smart guys that get to a position the Premier League is the biggest league in the world it's a huge multi-billion dollar industry. The, the money you get paid. Like, I mean, he was suing town for seven and a half million. Yeah. That's the kind of money we're talking about. But uh, I'm sorry, but like, what that, those texts and emails, they're the texts of idiots. Mm-hmm. Like, they're actually yeah. really quite dim people. Yeah. And that's what really strikes me more so than anything else. It's like, okay, like, to be, like, to be a racist and to get to, uh, to get to be, you know, a high up figure in a Premier League club is one thing. But to be that stupid... Yeah. That's I mean, what's really shocking it, to me because it's like you know if 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 you are, I mean for, for instance the Cooper Shemansky book that we covered a while ago, Socconomics actually is a chapter about how um, racism, how football, the market of football. Well, this is their argument anyway. The market of football it kind of militates against racism because it penalizes managers essentially who are racist. Mm-hmm. If you're a racist and you don't think, you know, you think black players are tactically naive or, you know, whatever, whatever racist belief you have. Your uh, false belief is undermining your team's ability to get the best players. You know what I mean? So the argument that they make is that eventually it's weeded out by a sort of an, almost an evolutionary process because the teams that are operated according to racist principles lose to the teams that aren't. Um, you know... I would have thought you, you kind of assume at this stage a level of familiarity at least with that. I mean, I don't. I just find it. I just found it like uh, really, really amazing. Surprising, yeah. All right, the Republic of Ireland squad. Not, not quite as surprising. <laughs> Devoid of major. We've named every every fit or half fit Irish. Uh, Thirty six. <laughs> Thirty six players uh, in the squad. Um, Stephen Ireland. Uh, oh, no, no, here. no, Stephen Ireland. I want a talking point. <laughs> Uh, no, Stephen Ireland. No, um, we've got uh, really no no surprises. The usual names. Do you want to uh, Ford, Westwood, Randolph, Elliott, Kell, Wilson, Coleman, O'Shea, Pierce, Kelly, McShane, Delaney, O'Brien, Duffy, McCarthy, Hendrick, Clark, Ward, Whelan, Gibson, Reed, McGeady, Pilkington, McLean, Brady, Quinn, Myler, Hulin, Keane, Long, Murphy, Walters, Doyle, Stokes, yeah, Salmon, Cox. We needed to go through them all, but there you go. This um, is for the qualifier. But no, Jack Grealish. Grealish, Grealish. Grealish. The young Aston Villa player. Great. Grealish. Grealish. Yeah. Okay. Um, the young Aston Villa player, the Irish Lionel Messi, uh, who unfortunately might be the English Lionel Messi. <laughs> Let's watch this space. He uh, is an English-born player of Irish descent who's been playing for Ireland at youth teams. I mean, people will be familiar with this kid, I'm sure. If you're not, just you can have a look at him on YouTube. He's a kind of a he's a skillful. A uh, player with great dribbling ability, scores goals from the wing, really looks very promising. Is is in the Villas match day squad now, certainly on the bench for them, um, their game on the weekend. 
Um, but having played underage for Ireland all these years, he may now may be thinking... Hmm. If only we had a member of the Aston Villa backroom team who would be perhaps batting for the Republic of Ireland senior team. I know. If only there was someone, some figure high up that perhaps Jack Grealish really admired. What could he do, though? What could he do? You know? I mean, what age was Jack Grealish anyway when Roy Keane retired? What? Eight? No, hang on. Eleven. He might, have, he might have very little interest in Roy Keane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Martin O'Neill speaking about him so I spoke to his father I spoke to Jack I think like anything else he's a young kid coming through with a lot of potential they just want to take a little bit of time he's got a number of options and he's felt comfortable playing underage level but it's a totally different thing to committing yourself to senior football he's got a lot of talent he's got taller he's got stronger in the last couple of months it was a decent conversation I think I'll just leave it at that at the moment so the biter bit it could well be for the Republic of Ireland. Yeah, I wouldn't say anyone in the Irish FA or indeed the Scottish FA would be too uh, sympathetic towards no. the Republic of Ireland's Guff cause. Yeah. north of the border <laughs> as a young Irish underage player possibly about to play this for England. This is for the squad. Friendly I wish the man. young man well, Owen. I wish the young man well whatever decision he decides to ultimately take. This, yeah. Um, but? But, no. uh, but nothing, that's it. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope he... I hope he decides to play for Ireland. It's friendly against all. I can, I'm, I'm going to express a preference there. I'd, I'd rather he, uh, I'd rather he played for Ireland than England, uh, because, you know, as Liam Brady said, we don't have any good players. <laughs> uh, we really do. We could do we'll be nice one or two. Right. Yeah. I'll finally get the sentence finished. It's a friendly <laughs> against Oman and a qualifier against Georgia. I'm right in saying. I'm trying to get clued into the. Uh, yes, qualifier against International Georgia in Tbilisi. Yeah, yeah, it seems to have been a, been a little while, but uh, Paul Scholes. Mm, Paul Scholes, as I just call him in the independent. Um, well, let's just say revolution, not evolution, is what he is urging for Manchester United. Uh, you know, forget all this building. I feel it's time for major change. What do United need? Five players. Not five players of potential. Five experienced players for now. Uh, he means... I don't think he means for now, as in, and then five more in the next transfer as in, for right now, they go into the team and immediately improve the team. Uh, five proper players who can hit the ground running and turn around a situation that looks desperate. They've lost one game, by the way. Just maybe Well, lost one game and finished seventh last season. So. Yeah, but you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, but anyway, his five, my five would be Xabi Alonso, Sammy Kadira, Rafael Varane, Angel Di Maria, and Matt Hummels. It would be one very big check for Real Madrid, admits Skulls, given that four of them would come from that club. <laughs> it would be hard to land them all. Yeah, I'd say it would, actually. I'd say it would. Although maybe not that hard to land two of those four, because Sammy Kadira, according to Carlo Ancelotti today, he's, obviously, he's in the last year of his contract now and has refused a contract extension. Um, I think his preference is to join Bayern Munich, but whether or not Guardiola is interested in him is, an, is, an, is another thing. Angel Di Maria has also refused the contract extension for Real Madrid and has told them he wants to leave. Kadira, mm-hmm. according to Ancelotti, Kadira has not said that he wants to leave, but Di Maria has said that he does. So uh, it looks as though Di Maria will go somewhere, but Real Madrid are looking for so much money. We will mention that, I think, with, with Gabriel Marcos. Xabi Alonso, I think, is... I don't think it's very realistic to go to the same club and ask for four of their players, even if at least one of them wants out. But uh, in particular, Xabi Alonso. I Liverpool mean, bought three Southampton players. Yeah, this club is Real Madrid, though. Mm, sure. <laughs> Although, you know, are, are any of these players first team first team players well, for Real Madrid is. now? Will he be? Will Alonso be this season? I'm not sure. I mean, they've they've got Kadir, they've got Tony Kroos. I mean, Tony Kroos does the job that Xabi yeah, Alonso yeah, does. Yeah, but I, but I, I would have thought Alonso was a above Kadir on the pecking order though no not not in a team with Kroos because Kroos will be doing that job yeah. Kroos, Kroos is a very uh, 
very similar player to Alonso, I would say. He's got a lot of the same um, kind of characteristics. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, it, I think there is a point... Well, Skulls, it's not maybe not quite the point that Skulls is making, but there is something to be said for signing the cast-off players from Barcelona and Real Madrid because they sign so many good players and so many of them don't make it or they, or they, they get bored. With, I mean, look at Di Maria. Di Maria is the best player in the Champions League final, man of the match award in the Champions League final. Great season for Real Madrid last season. He was one of their best players. Why are they selling him? Because, well, they're Real Madrid and they've got, you know, James Rodriguez, James Rodriguez, and they've got... Uh, they're trying to sign Falcao. They're also about to get a totally disproportionate price for him. Yeah. Because Manchester United are panic buying now, so it looks like they might get 45, 50 million for a reasonably good player. In fairness, I mean, you would take that for Di Maria. But, uh, I mean, it's a bit... Ter- what I was thinking here of here was, was the way in which, say, uh, Chelsea have signed Fabregas, an unwanted player at Barcelona, who's going to be, I mean, on the, on the basis of his first performance for them in the Premier League, is going to be brilliant for them. Uh, Arsenal have got Sanchez, who, again... Should should still be at Barcelona. I mean, if you think back, Wesley Snyder left Real Madrid and went to Inter, won the treble. Mesut Ozil, Arjen Robin, Arjen Robin. You know, they 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 a lot of really good players end up being forced out of those clubs by politics. And there is something to be said for picking those guys up. Um, but at the kind of price they're talking about for Di Maria, I'm not sure it makes sense. That's Yannick Kennedy's report on sport. Is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by a furious blast of temper. The hair dryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hair dryer, I think, at David Beckham. Other than he threw a hair dryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. Richie Sadler has joined us. Richie, good to see you. How are you? How are you, lad? You well? No, not too bad at all. You've enjoyed the. Your summer, I assume. I have, yes. A Good lovely man. break. Uh, Shane Long, we want to talk about, who mm-hmm. didn't make the most auspicious of debuts for Southampton coming off the bench and heading a chance wide, which unfortunately is indicative of, of Shane Long from time to time. He gets in positions. He's uh, he's a player that everyone likes, I think, or certainly most Irish fans have a lot of time for, but he's a striker who doesn't score enough goals. Um, what can be done about that? Yeah, it's definitely the weakest part of his game, looking at him from a distance anyway. He's got loads going for him, but the the one area where he will most likely let you down in is if you put him in a goal-scoring opportunity or he arrives in a goal-scoring opportunity, which like you just said, a lot of Irish fans like him and have a lot of time for him. And I think that's a lot to do with, with, with you know his personality. He seems a very grounded fella, very honest. His, his, his reputation is a very good one. But he's now a £12 million Premier League striker. So... Those kind of qualities that we like in him don't matter a toss to the to the fans of, of Southampton. Um, and if he continues to do that, he's going to get absolutely hammered. Yeah, Ken made the point uh, earlier on in the week that if you're a £500,000 buy from a, a League of Ireland club or whatever it might be, uh, well, that'd be pretty, a pretty decent fee. But if, you, if you're a bargain buy or whatever it might be, you're going to be seen in a certain way. But if you're £12 million, you're £12 million. And people don't care what your background is. They expect goals if you're a striker for 12 million. It's expectation. You're, you're, you're bought to deliver. You, you, you can't spend 12 million pounds and be considered a punt or be considered, you know, this fella over 6, 12, 18 months will deliver into something, somebody we can rely on. You've got to go in and do it instantly. And, you know, he's had a bad start. I don't want to hammer him, but it's only been one yeah, weekend yeah. gone. But, um, yeah, you don't, you don't get the... the, the the time afforded to someone who only costs a half a million or might be a few years younger or who's clearly got loads to develop. He's a full international, this cost 20 million. He's been in the Premier League for years. So 
pressure's on. The weird thing about him watching him is that it's not as though everything he does goes astray. You know, I mean, it's just the shots and the attempts on goal that don't go where they're meant to go. I mean, he passes the ball around, he heads the ball to his teammates. That all is fine. And then suddenly when he has to try and put it in the net, he 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 loses his accuracy. So it's obviously a mental I- issue. Yeah, he, he does look... He, he never appears to be overly confident in scenarios like that. Um, and, and, and I'd agree that it is probably a mental issue. And you're talking here about confidence and self-belief. And it's... And it's hard. It's the one area I think people often talk about confidence and how important it is to footballers, and particularly how important it is to strikers. I think it's important to everyone. Like if you in your job, like if you if you're if you're lacking in self belief, and like you go on to do your TV show, and you genuinely believe that you're you're no use, and that you're you're an imposter, and that you shouldn't be there, and that if if it, when it really comes to it, you're going to let down the people you work with. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do the job. And if you're a striker, if you're in any other position, you can generally get by. If you're a centre half, you, know, you, you can time your jumps better. You can you can throw your weight around. If you're a midfielder, you can get by with just running, covering ground, shielding your defence, doing donkey work. When you're a striker, often, and I used to look at Torres as a really good example of this. I, I used to do this as well, actually. When you believe that your goal-scoring abilities are, are, are shot to bits, when, when the one area of the, the, the match the, you most fear, which is you being in a position where you're expected to score if that's what you're afraid of then putting all your effort on the other stuff you know tearing after full backs or coming back and making fouls in the halfway line or throwing your weight about and conceding free kicks people generally start using phrases like look at him he's trying too hard or he's not for the want of effort and you all of a sudden turn a really negative scenario into one in which you're praised but all you're doing is you're disguising the fact that you're still terrified of getting in front of the goal because you believe you'll miss when you get there genuinely terrified There is it as bald as a winger has a ball. Has the ball. You can see there's a pass on for him, but you're not sure you want to get in on the end of that through ball because you'll miss. I remember in, in the in the first couple of years of me playing first team football, I was like that. I I I would. I would just get you, and it's so easy to when you're looking at a player and 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 you, you know what to do, and it's quite easy to spot. You're just find, running yourself into areas where the likelihood of of, of being in a goal scoring position is lessened. So you, you mightn't be in the box as quick as you would normally be. You wouldn't get to the six yard box as quick, um, and it is because the one thing like we're doing now, what like whatever amount of minutes Shane Long was on the pitch last weekend, the one moment that we all remember is the potential goal scoring chance that he missed. So when you're in a frame of mind where 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 you're not sure of yourself or you're lacking in self-belief, you know that if you're not in those scenarios to miss, you're probably not going to be discussed. No uh, one's going to yeah. discuss, do you remember Shane Long and, 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 and didn't track the fullback or didn't win a header? No one remembers Unless that. Unless people are really paying attention. I think Alan Shearer did a piece on Torres. He might have been with still with Liverpool at this stage. Maybe he joined Chelsea, but the, the piece showed a couple of chances for him to get into the box, which he just didn't take. And it mm. seemed like a very clear example of what you're talking about there. Mm. Confidence was low and he just didn't want to get in get in with a chance and whatever about 12 million if you're talking about 50 million or whatever for Torres you'd kind of like him to Torres is extraordinary because he, he, he was at the heights that he was at Yeah, like Shane Long hasn't been at that height um, I obviously never was but it, it, to, to get to a scenario where like to Torres I haven't seen I don't know if there's another example of someone who has plummeted from where he was to where he is Um in quite that way. How does it start off, do you think, that someone... I mean, because nobody... Everyone is fairly confident at the in the beginning, you know, when they're... Uh, do you think? Yeah, you know. I mean, our kids most, mostly 
do kids have problems with confidence in front didn't of me girls? Didn't we discuss it? The fearlessness of youth. Didn't we? <laughs> didn't we? Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, I'm serious. It's like, uh, you know, you just, oh yeah, well, I missed that, but like, let's we go again. And uh, but at some point, then, uh, I mean, certain players then start to actually develop a fear or kind of complex about it. I mean, where, where, how would you pinpoint that? I mean, does that come from? Is it is it something as simple as a single incident? Is it like uh, something that only certain personality types are vulnerable to? I think, like, you have to accept, like, footballers aren't all clones of one another. I know people like to talk about footballers and they generally use the phrase footballers and they come out with a load of generalities and the conversation stays in those terms, but they're all made up differently and some scenarios won't phase players. Like, you throw a 17 or 18 roll on the first team pitch, he'll feel like he belongs. Tim Cahill at Millwall did it. He was... And, and every pitch he's ever been on, I always got the impression he believed he was the best player on the pitch. I, I would never have had that attitude at all. Um, so I think it's it's very complex area because, and it's not unique to footballers. Mm. Like, bring back, and bring it back here to your own job. Like, surely you've lacked belief at some point in the job you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, there well, are times you might do an interview, you might do whatever and yeah. think that wasn't great. And, and how did you deal with that? Just forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well, well. I think that's what it. Robbie Keane does. I not necessarily forget about it. I guess. I've, I guess I've done interviews where I've had a look at why it, what I thought it did wrong. This might sound unbelievably cliched, and just maybe try and uh, be a little bit more clued in the next time. But any time I've done an interview where I felt it's been wrong, I don't think I've necessarily prepared for it as well as I as well as I could have. Whereas professional footballers, I would have thought, um, you know, they're always going to be preparing well. No. <laughs> Why would they always be preparing? Well, they're well? paid a lot of money to prepare for these games. Yeah, I break the link between your wage and your preparation. I, I just would. Right, being yeah, yeah. paid a lot of money just means you're being paid a lot of money. Well, they've got a lot of time. I mean, they're they're you know this is their this is their job. Well, I suppose my job is to interview people, so I, I should be well prepared for every interview. But just the odd time, one might slip. But it's the moment of self doubt. Yeah, like sometimes they're fleeting moments. Like you said, right? You've had an experience where you weren't happy with how you did. You looked at why you put it right. That's a very like step-by-step logical response to lacking in, in self-belief. Not everyone can do it in that way. And, and like, they, they don't. What about, like you, you must, I'm kind of here, you deal with these Well, things. the Robbie Keane interview. Robbie Keane, yeah. When, when ro- you ran out of questions, this is one of your first ever interviews. Yeah, that was like, that was me heading the ball wide of the, of the cup. What was that like? Four yards. And what was that like? Yeah, it was, I, I, I mean, I, I remember my cheeks reddening and... Uh, the uh, scornful laughter of Robbie Keane and his family. I'm probably imagining that sound. <laughs> well, no, he did ask. He did ask. Is it your first day? Is it? Uh, yeah, he did. did, did he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But you know, that's you know, that's that's because that's because Robbie Keane's got the ability to think on his feet. You know, as we've seen many times during the years. And I'm maybe more of a, a elegant central defensive type of player, <laughs> or possibly goalkeeper. Um, did it affect you? Did it affect me? Uh, not really. Not not really. No. I mean. I remember it. On the day, did, were you not, did you not feel... Uh, no, actually, because I, in fact, I remember I came back with a couple of quick-fire questions once Robbie Keane had put me on the, uh, on the back foot, you see. I remember because he was, he, was, he, he was sponsoring some game, or no, he, he was being sponsored, rather, by a game called TIF. Uh, it was, uh, they were hoping that it would become a pro-evo or FIFA-type uh, game. It was This Is Football. Uh, I think he might have been on the cover of it. I mean, this is about 2002. Um, so once he said that, I, I, I had the flash of inspiration of, oh, well, you know, tell me about the game. Anyway, have you, pl- have you played this game? And uh, he was like, 
no, I haven't. Obviously, he didn't say, no, I haven't played the game, but, you know, I, I was able to, you know, win back a bit of my dignity. I've lost, I've, I feel myself losing confidence right now. No, that's <laughs> I remember you're asking, there, how, how, like, how do you, how do you put it right or how do you address it? When I, when I was in that frame of mind, now we're, obviously we're making a lot of assumptions here that Shane Long is sitting somewhere doubting his ability. He may not be, but he does appear from a distance that when he's in goal scoring chances that he doesn't... That one aspect scoring. of his game which yeah. happens to be very important yeah. for... But I remember back, back in the day when I, I was... And it was obvious to everyone, you didn't have to meet me or know me to know, you just look at me playing, oh, that fella doesn't really believe in himself at all. And you, you kind of get, I suppose, team... Uh, um, he gets spoken to. I remember one of the managers pulled me aside who used to be a first-team player at Millwall a few years ago when Sheringham was in the team. And he said, you know, I was getting stick from the crowd and I was, I was listening to it all and I was taking it on board. And he was saying, you know, one of the things you've got to do, you've got to forget that. And he used the example, say, you know, they used to hammer Teddy as well. But you, and, and, but you can overcome that. He did, you can, all this kind of thing. So you get, you get plenty of people trying to help around you. Um, but ultimately, it's up to yourself. Like some people now, I assume people now go to psychologists if you have a psychological issue you go to someone who's trained to deal with it or to support you in it that it's not it, it, there's more there's more expertise out there other than just a manager going come on son we believe in you believe in yourself the crowd will turn the next one will go in like there's more to it there's, there's more expertise out there than merely listening to someone say that to you there are there are phrases in football which we all know kind of what they're what they're indicating but not necessarily what they mean say for instance one is confidence player which is always a bad thing to say about a player a confidence player is a player who goes through protracted spells of being unable to play <laughs> being unable to play football um you know sometimes they're good but often they're they're bad mentally strong is another word it's a kind of a cliche which we kind of know what it means i mean alan shearer is a mentally strong player tim cahill maybe you've got mm. you you've talked about robbie Keane. i'd say you know i mean how many chances does he miss? He's, you know, Michael Jordan. He's missed more chances than anyone, and he, he keeps coming back. Um, but what does it? What does it actually mean to say that? I mean, are we, are we talking about skills, like kind of mental skills that can be defined? I mean, are there certain characteristics that are shared by these players? Is it possible to break down what's meant by that and sort of see if if there's things that other players who maybe don't naturally have that could could apply to themselves? I think when I, when I hear someone describe a player as a confidence player. I just assume they mean that when he doesn't have confidence, he's brutal. Yeah. Um, and, and and I think where it applies mostly to strikers is because it's a... The, the, most of the work, or, or the, the work that separates you from your teammates, is it's, it's the positive moves that you make. Like you try and beat a player or you take on a shot where someone else might not do it. Or you, you, you take a risk or you're putting yourself out there and believe that you'll do something positive, which is a difficult thing to do when you think negatively about yourself. And again, I use it, it's different from trying to just muscle someone out off the ball in centre midfield or you're a full-back just running up and down the line or you're a centre-half just out-jumping your striker. It, it requires skill or a bit of finesse or, or, or something that brute force or just energy or work won't get you by. So that's why I think players in forward positions are affected more or it's more obvious when they go through a spell when they don't have confidence. And the phrase like mentally strong that can mean anything but I think when I if things I think of if you're if if you're unaffected if your performance is unaffected by the variety of scenarios you'll meet on match day be it you know missing a penalty and you'll you play on as if it never happened or you miss a sitter and you, you like Robbie Keane doesn't matter how many he'll miss you'll always give the impression that he'll still tear into the six yard box expecting to score 
or go through a spell where the crowd are on your back or the press are hammering you or there's all sorts of personal stories about you in the newspapers and you're totally unaffected by it that you can just you can just like I look at it when you see people do it up close you think how are they doing it they just completely kind of categorise their mind and go right well that's not today's issue for the next hour and a half it's about playing football I'm not sure Shane Long falls into that category you talk about though even a confidence player yeah. because that implies peaks and troughs that implies that there are times where he's totally ineffective and there are other times where he's on fire it's not really but he's Shane, actually quite consistently yeah he's quite consistently very good but quite consistently has this problem that he can't score goals I remember watching a whole city match towards the end of last season and the commentator was banging on about uh, that this is what's going to keep keep Hull up now or this is this is the difference between Hull and whatever team they're playing they've got these two great strikers and later on in the commentary they made the point that between them I think they'd scored three goals and this is after about 14 games it was Jelovic and and, uh, and Shane Long so I was kind of thinking that the, it's good to have the good press about leading a line and that kind of thing but if he can't score goals Richie why not is it too late in the career of someone like Shane Long to say actually the guys should be the guy's a winger maybe or could play a slightly Full different back. position could be pretty maybe it's too far to push him that far back the field mm. but shift him out to the wing he's fast he's strong I'd imagine he'd be able to cross the ball pretty well um, say, I don't think he would accept the premise of this I don't think he would accept the fact that he's a non-scoring centre forward I suppose he's just got a 12 million yeah. pound move yeah. in the Premier League he'd just turn around and go well, listen like I'm doing something okay look at, look at where I am yeah well, thing. But there's an, there's, the same thing there's definitely there's a kind of accumulative effect the more you miss the more conversations like this will take place and the more people will write about it and the more fans will talk about it. So it's on your mind because it's the thing that when you do interviews, it's the thing you're going to be asked about. Mm. You, you're going to be asked, you know, and it's the one stat. I know stats are becoming more and more a feature of how football is spoken about, but like a midfielder, you, you never introduce him in terms of, you know, what's his average distance run over a game or his key passes or all the other things. But if you're talking about a striker, you will generally in the conversation mention his goals per game ratio. So the more you miss and the more it's spoken about, it is on your mind going that the importance of scoring the next chance is growing. So when you get into that opportunity, you can allow the scenario to be a big, far bigger deal than it is. I remember with Long after the friendly game, what was the friendly game last year when he uh, had scored a goal and everyone thought this is great, but then missed a bunch of chances and he was doing the, I felt bad for him in the post-match interviews because he was having to explain away, this is for Ireland now, he's having to explain away his misses when he's just scored a goal for his country. You, you, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it ties in what Richie says, this is what you get asked about then if you do miss those chances. Do you want to come in there? Is it too late to work on the technical side for a channel? I mean, uh, say Arsene Wenger, for instance, always says basically, to, you know, if he's not, if he doesn't have good technique by the time he's 15, forget about him. You know, I don't, I'm not interested. This guy is, is, it's too late for that guy already. Uh, and Shane Long is what, 27 now? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, you, you sometimes hear, a team doesn't score. The manager has them all doing shooting practice the next day, which may, maybe is counterproductive. You know, you guys have a problem with goal scoring. Um, but is there, is there anything that he can do well, in be the more training ground? Be more specific. So it's when you say technical well, can, side, can, what does that mean? If he goes out in training and actually practices finishing, if he if him and a couple of defenders and a goalkeeper, and the ball is put into him time after time after time, different situations of box, headers, you know, close range headers, you know, one-on-ones, Practice, and maybe he, maybe something clicks. Is it too late for a twenty? Can a twenty-seven-year-old actually get better with practice? I suppose it's different when you're talking about you're developing your technique. Yeah, coaches do say, isn't there a window of development in your younger age? What did you say? Wenger said at the age of 50, 15, you know, you're, a, you're a, done. a ridiculously young age. Yeah, <clears throat> effectively. Look, if 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 the if if it's not right at that at that age, it's never you know forget it. 
you don't. But it, it still doesn't mean that adults should stop training or stop preparing for scenarios that are going to come up in a mm. game. And I would imagine Shane Long and all the other strikers at Southampton and every other club, a part of their training regime is breaking away from the main group of the squad and just purely doing finishing. Yeah. Just on their own. They, Not they, like, well, I mean, it's, it's a, we used to, way back in the day, you'd have shooting practice afterwards and it used to drive me mad. You have to wait in a queue for like the full back or the left back <laughs> yeah. and you're going, lads, yeah. I've been here six years. You've never been, you've never, never taken a shot. shot. <laughs> Get out of the way. Yeah. Just go away and practice clearing the ball from the corner kick because that's what you do, yeah. right? Yeah. And, 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 and so there's specialised training and I assume it's even more specialised now because there's, the, the, the backroom staffs are far more bigger and there's far more analysis, there's far more information so you can be pinpointed as to what the weaknesses of your game is or the areas for greatest improvement. I think that's the way they'll phrase it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he needs to do more. I mean, maybe it's the only solution I could see. I mean, I think I remember a chance that he missed for Ireland. Um, I can't even remember who we were playing against. You know, these opponents kind of merge into one. Yes, I do. But, I think I remember the game. I can't true. remember the opponent. You know, yeah, it's true. And, and uh, did he try and he actually had two chances in the game? And this is the same match I was talking about. Yeah. He, he ended up kind of scooping the ball into the goalkeeper's hands. From yeah. he, he he kind of he clearly had a crisis of what am I going to do. There's so many things I could do. I could try and shoot past the goalkeeper in a kind of conventional way. I could go around the goalkeeper. That's also on because he's he's well off his line. Oh, he's off his line. Maybe I'll try and chip mm. him. Oh, I don't know if I should try. Oh, the defender's getting close. I better try a chip. Messes up the chip. Now, that should be an automatic process in his head. He should, should you could you could see all these decisions going through his head. You know which which one will it be. It should be just automatic in that situation. That was against Serbia. We lost two one. And that's a question of surely that's something that it's you can composure as well training. in training. I, I know what to do in this situation. I've done this fifty times. I've done this fifty times in the last couple of days in training. I know exactly what I'm doing. Bang. But again, it, I think it's composure, which is a difficult thing to to work for because, like, it, it's very hard to, to to work really hard to be really relaxed in a in the moment of most pressure or most expectation or the moment that you know will be talked about most after the game particularly if it goes wrong but I think it comes back to belief as well like obviously you have to train you have to you will repetitively be doing shooting drills and, and crossing and shooting you'll do all those things and every football team at every level I assume does those things now but but it's back to the essential point if somewhere deep down in your core wherever, wherever these things are, are, are stored if you believe that you're going to miss and the, and the voices in your head th- that are loudest are the negative ones. They're the ones that are criticising yourself. And everyone has those voices. If they're the ones that are running the show for whatever length of time, you're going to struggle. I'd it's, imagine, it's, it's hard. Yeah, and I'd imagine more so in the type of chance that Ken talks about there wh- where he has time to think about yeah. it. This is the cl- classic an instinctive finish is, is one way of doing it, but that one where you're running up, you're thinking about everything that could go wrong. And again, if, if, it's, the, if it's the negative voices that are running the show... Yeah. It, it's it's There's a lot of time to hear them. Uh, got yeah, sort of a I'm trying to think of a couple of, of pieces of advice that I heard from old Fox managers uh, to strikers who failed to score. Giovanni Trapattoni to Simon Cox. Um, next time, score. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if that's necessarily fact. But I remember what Ferguson said. Ferguson said to, was it Van Persie? Maybe he hadn't scored for. I can't remember who it was. Just whack it. And actually, that is good advice because it simplifies the decision. It's like. Don't think about any of it. Just the next time you get a chance, this is the way you're going to take it. Just hit the ball as hard as you can towards the goal. And you'd be surprised how often <laughs> how often that actually works. But at least it removes this agony of indecision. It's like, this is what you're going to do next time. I remember I heard once, was it, one coach said, 
no matter where you're shooting from, aim for, aim, aim for the keeper. Because most people aren't absolutely accurate from any distance. So if you miss, if you miss by a couple of yards... Miss the goalkeeper by two yards yeah, is perfectly... It, it's perfect. <laughs> because a lot of people, if they aim for the top corner, like that's very difficult. But aim for the keeper. Very rarely are people that, that spot on. Chances are you'll score. Richie, I think we finally cracked it for Shane Long. We'll leave it on that note. Just aim the keeper and score a goal. Richie, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, lads. All right, that's, that's good manners. <laughs> players have played but they're still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no no, no obviously none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean and you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like what a Teresa you know he's um, I don't know and we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. That advice is very similar to what you hear in football. Mm. Football, footballers, I should say, be, uh, be coached. Aim for the crossbar when you're going for the goal. Because unless you're unbelievably accurate, you won't hit that crossbar. It'll either go just above point or just below three points. Yeah, Emmett Bolton was talking to us uh, just a couple of weeks ago about that brilliant goal he scored against Monaghan. And he said that Kieran McGinney had spent six years basically telling him to aim for the crossbar. Really? It's, yeah. Yeah, up to that level, they're still yeah. talking in that way. That's but I mean, it's kind of interesting, uh, Ken, you talking about, oh, you know, Shane Long had, you know, he had too long to think about mm-hmm. about that, you know. I Obviously, it's a totally different thing altogether. But like the couple of years I played senior football for Milton, right? about 10 years I scored so few goals and every single time I was in a position to score a goal I blasted the ball over the bar and do you want to know what was going through my head as I blasted chance after chance over the bar what absolutely nothing nothing at all nothing at all got the ball the vacuum of deep space swung that's basically what we're talking about here like got the ball immediately transferred it onto my left foot kicked it extremely hard and the velocity that the ball was Travelling at just immediately rolls the ball above the bar, yeah. safely uh, going over for. A Did point. you? You didn't even think aim for the crossbar. No, no, no. And every single time that it happened, I was like, "That's the one chance I'm going to get in this game." Why the hell didn't I just take like a second? But to you think d- about I mean, the thing about that do. is that you did take the chance in a way because Gaelic football allows you to score a point by knocking Rewards the ball missing. over the bar. Where, yeah. Whereas if you if you had done that and the you know, I mean, you jogged away maybe thinking, well. That was probably a goal chance, but, you know, good point, so it's not yeah. that big deal. Whereas it's not like the burning even, shame of, of missing yeah. a simple goal exactly, chance. Exactly, yeah. But, I mean, I'm, I'm even trying to think of the times when I, you know, when I side-footed it wide, you know, mm. and like, oh, God, I missed the chance. You know, what was I doing? I was aiming for the bottom corner and I missed. Oh, my God. Mm. I can't remember doing that. Really? All I can ever remember is just blasting the ball really hard over the bar. The Milton sports psychologist obviously was... Uh, on a sabbatical I mean, it's, for it's the, just these basic, years. No, it's basic coaching. And, you know, we would do these drills up against the goalkeeper. Keep it low, keep it low, keep it low. I'm <laughs> leaning so far back. <laughs> I might as well be on a sun lounger, you know, <laughs> blasting the ball over the bar. And did your uh, manager ever take you aside, put an arm around your shoulder? Say, listen, you got a problem. Well, see, I, th- I think in a situation, I, I was, I didn't really get into too many goal scoring chances. I, like, I would have got maybe a chance every game and a half, say. 
and you know if you're getting points from all of these chances maybe people aren't really noticing your terrible Mer- conversion rate Mer- whereas Stoney I got was three points from play again today brilliant yeah, stuff great he's stats. done really well instead of getting a goal and two points which is what I should have been getting <laughs> in all of these games We've got another show out there today. We spoke to you, well, we previewed the All-Ireland Senior Football semi-final. Kerry against May also spoke to US Murph about the Little League World Series, which um, it's basically a bunch of little kids, 11, 12, 13-year-olds being paraded on national television. I thought for the exploit, I, th- I called it really the exploitation of children for financial gain. Mm. Ken called it sport. Yes. Get over it. Mo- kids uh, playing Mo- sport. Flanders, Maud Flanders here was a little upset about, uh, <laughs> you know, a couple of kids you know, shedding a tear or two after they've been knocked out of the League World Series. Are you um, calling me Maud Flanders? Yeah, I'm calling you Maud Flanders. Okay. Uh, I, well, to be honest, I think it's one of the most amazing, well, it's, it's one of the most interesting sporting occasions that happen every year, I think. That you could make total heroes out of 12-year-olds, put them on ESPN, have millions of people watching them, and for it to, you know, not be just a cuddly thing that you watch on television, but to be an actual sport that you would... Yeah, that's where... It- Take an interest in the line. I think it's really, really interesting. And of course, US Murph presents the arguments pro and con uh, in his inimitable style. Let's talk Balotelli with Gabriele Marcotti. Gabriele, can I ask you first of all, what the Milan side of things, really? Why are they letting him go? I thought he had done reasonably well for them. Um, he had, and uh, they had this obvious appetite to going back to uh, just after the World Cup, where Berlusconi came out and said, "Oh, I'm the big loser here because." I thought he'd have a great World Cup, and then we could uh, sell him for a lot of money. Um, to be perfectly brutally honest, this makes no sense to me to sell him at this price. Um, the, the, certainly the reported agreed-upon fee, £60 million. Pounds. Mm. I don't know if there'll be bonuses or add-ons or so on, but if that's the number, um, this is an absolute, it's an absolute steal, I think, for Liverpool. Um, the risk-reward situation is just, uh, is just tremendous. And and I think it's a it's a colossal screw up from Milan. There's already Milan fans who are who are angry about this, and I think the relationship between Mino Raiola, Balotelli's agent, and Adriano Galliani um, will be scrutinised further, and rightly so. Right. Well, uh, what has the relationship been in the past? Is that a, a rather poisonous one? Well, one of the allegations is that um, you know in the last few years Milan have become a club that only seem to do business with the same two or three agents, right. and Raiola being one of them. Okay. And in some cases, it's worked out very well. In other cases, you don't know. But what seems obvious is that, you know, if you're Mino Raiola, and uh, for those who don't know, he also looks after Slatan Ibrahimovic mm. and Paul Pogba. Um, obviously, the more your players move around, uh, often the more you benefit. Yeah, um, I guess the players uh, players end up making a lot of money out of it as well. And, and it suggests that even if he does do well at Liverpool, his career there... Mightn't be uh, it mightn't be his last every club, um, but what, I mean when you look at the the way that he's played for Milan, do you see development in his game, Gabriel? He's twenty four years old now. He really should be getting to a point where he's he's fully developed as a footballer. So, what is the the Mario Balotelli that we now see? Is he is he a better footballer than he was when he left Manchester City? You know, the interesting thing about Mario Balotelli is one of the critics, uh, one of the criticisms of him, people always point out, is like, oh, but his goal-scoring record isn't good. So I looked, and since moving to Manchester City, and, and he had just turned 20, of course, when he, when he moved to City, um, he's had a goal every 140 minutes in the league uh, between Serie A and Milan and, and the Premier League. Uh, Luis Suarez, 
uh, at Liverpool um, had one goal every 139 minutes. Uh, now, obviously, I'm not. That doesn't mean that Balotelli is as good as Suarez, and obviously Suarez also, ta- you know, doesn't take penalties and and all that jazz. And but I think you know it's an indicative number. And the simple truth is that Mario scored less because he's played less, um, and he's played less sometimes through injury, but oftentimes, um, certainly at City and, and to some degree at Milan, uh, because there were issues, um, and and that's what he needs to work on. I think if he has a manager that has him motivated and has him on the pitch, uh, he will produce. And, you know, like Suarez, he's also the kind of player who can contribute a lot beyond goals. Um, and so I think in, in, in that sense, if he just stays at that level, uh, when you look at the fee, you know, it's, it's a success for Liverpool. If he goes beyond that level, um, as people have been expecting him to do in terms of achieving his full potential and all that jazz. Um, and he does so consistently, um, then, you know, then they've absolutely hit the jackpot. It's interesting. I mean, to, to compare him to Suarez, because he's a player who, um, maybe more than any, anyone I've ever seen seems to play. So the game that he's playing is the most important thing in the world. Um, Balotelli is the opposite of that. I've Mm. seen Balotelli play a lot. Um, and, I know there's a lot of strikers who who tend to, let's say, conserve energy off the ball, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone stalk around the pitch like Balotelli um, with with such an air of indifference to everything around him, as though he really he really just couldn't care. I mean, he, I, I get the impression that he's not really that in love with the game, despite being very talented. He he doesn't love the game. Well. I mean, I think there's two, there's two different issues there. First of all, I, I, one thing I've learned is it's very dangerous to do this whole body language thing, unless you actually know the person, and then you know their sort of, uh, you know, you, you know their tropes, you know they how they move, and you can tell when there's different and so on, when there's a difference in, in, in the way they act. But I mean, say for um, take then take the specific example of say the Italy Uruguay match in the in the World Cup, a, a huge match. Um, Italy need results to win a manager on the bench who I think had a good relationship with Balotelli uh, you know when you look at his managers Prandelli was was maybe one of the, the guys who got on with him best everybody knew that the team was depending on him abysmal performance Gabriel. I'm sure you watched the match substituted yeah, outside yeah no, I did I, I mean yeah it, how, it, you know. look I mean <laughs> for, I, I, there's no question that he played badly um, he missed the one good chance that he had in the first half, and then he could very well have gotten himself sent off for for that ridiculous, you know, boot to the head of, of Alvaro Pereira. Uh, but again, you know, does somebody who goes in and tackle like that is that somebody who doesn't care, um, or is it somebody who cares? Yeah, the, I think in it a is. Stupid way. I mean, another match that I saw him play was uh, was uh, Arsenal against Manchester City a couple of years ago. That was the one in which he did get sent off. Um, it was a game that Manchester City needed to win uh, in order to keep up pressure. That at that point uh, Manchester United are disappearing over the horizon nobody knew that they were going to collapse in, in their turn. Roberto Mancini the manager who's back to more than anybody uh, after that game was I'm finished with him you know I'm, fi- I'm absolutely finished with him and because his because what he did was the act of somebody who didn't care he endangered his team's uh, chances of winning the league with a, just a selfish and stupid act um, you know it, it was childish it was ridiculous uh, and it cost Manchester City the game how many years ago was that? Like two, three, three years ago, maybe. You I think mean, it's changed? Yeah, I could 
throw to you and say, so somebody who goes and bites an opponent, you know, also is, is being childish and a bit mad. I mean, there's, there's no question he's had, he's had major issues like that in the past. There's absolutely no question, and, and you're right. And that is what you factor into your equation when you decide how much he's worth to you if you're Liverpool. Um, but by the same token, you also have you know, somebody who's actually, if you look at his big game performances, um, he's actually performed more often than not in big games. Um, and, and, you know, this is somebody who, if you could harness it in the right way, I, I'm not so concerned about the body language. I mean, people questioning, you know, his psychology, all this jazz. Slatan Ibrahimovic often looks like somebody who could care less on the pitch, who spends a lot of time standing around and waving his arms at teammates and demanding the ball. You know, I, whereas I can think of other strikers who look incredibly busy but are rubbish. Um, you know, you, you, I think ultimately you need to look at, at, at outcomes. You need to look at, at performances. Um, and I think the reality here is that this is a calculated risk for Liverpool where the rewards can be huge. So, um, even if Balotelli does not work out, um, at 16 million pounds, if, if you know, again, if that is the fee, uh, you know, you're you're going to get more than half that back in in a year's time, uh, you know, unless he goes out and you know goes to prison or something, you know, he's 24 years old, um, and 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 I think that 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 factors into into Liverpool's thinking. There's one other aspect too, which is uh, which in the modern game matters is Balotelli commercially in terms of endorsements. Um, is growing tremendously. I mean, he's insanely popular with with advertisers and sponsors, and in terms of image. And I think, to some degree, you know, that will also offset um, matters at Liverpool because if you're looking at sort of global superstar types, at, you know, at, at Liverpool right now, who you can market, who you can sell. Once you get beyond Steven Gerrard, you know, Raheem Sterling could be that soon, very soon. Um, but Balotelli offers that that side of things as well um, and, and that matters too Yeah and the, the way you explain it there it does make sense I mean, we were talking about Shane Long separately on this programme today and he cost 12 million so if you're talking about only 4 million extra for a player who's played at the level that Balotelli has it does seem like uh, pretty good business unless things go totally uh, belly up there Tony Evans um, Gabriele says that the Rogers style of management should suit him more than Mourinho Benitez and Mancini he thinks that, uh, that maybe Rogers will be a bit more sympathetic and that is what Balotelli needs would you agree with that? Um, on the surface, yeah. I mean, certainly it looked as if though Brandelli was the right manager for him as well, uh, much more in the in the Rogers mold um, than some of these other guys. And obviously, uh, we saw how that how that finished at the World Cup. Uh, you know, that's the counter argument to it. it. It's, I mean, it's very hard to tell um, because you're talking about somebody in Balotelli who you know clearly has had issues, who, who needs to grow up, who's at 24, you know, you can't use the, the, the maturity excuse, although some people mature later. Um, but on the surface, you know, Rogers knows everything he needs to know about Palotelli. Liverpool know everything, you know, he's been there, he was down the road at, at Manchester City for two and a half years. Uh, there really shouldn't be any surprises there. So if they're willing to take this on, they're going in, eyes wide open, and and, and, and they need to feel pretty confident that they can, that they can resolve this. So, yeah, in that sense, certainly, 
you know, Rogers would, would feel that he can handle this better than um, perhaps somebody else. Yeah, and I think, I suppose the optimism that, that fans generally have about uh, signings, you know, I mean, Baldelli is whatever anybody says about him, he is one of the more exciting players around. So it's going to make things interesting to see how he does and people are going to, uh, well, you know, maybe want to watch these matches just to see what Balotelli's doing. But I wanted to have a quick word of you uh, about a different uh, club, uh, Gabriel Manchester United, who have been struggling maybe to make signings. You know, maybe any signing is better than, than what they've been doing over the last little while. We have seen just today Carlo Ancelotti confirming that Angel Di Maria has asked to leave Real Madrid. Um, now, Lou van Gaal mentioned Di Maria kind of pointedly in a, a recent press conference. Um, there's a lot of pressure on Ed Woodward to buy somebody, and he wants to leave Real Madrid. Manchester United are one of the only teams that could afford to sign him. You see something happening here? Is it would this be, and and would it be a good signing or a, or maybe a continuation of a trend which has seen Manchester United buy a lot of random, expensive players because they're available? <laughs> Sadly, I kind of feel the latter. I mean, I absolutely love Di Maria. I think last season he was exceptional. Um, you know, you get the combination of quality and quantity with him. You know, he's been on the market all summer long. You know, I, I made the point back in May that what you know Manchester United need was needed was a director of football, and I, I kind of feel vindicated now because the only signings they made was the guy they tried to sign on the last day of the transfer window last year, but then somehow managed to screw up his release clause um, in Andrew Herrera. And and Luke Shaw, who you know, I think the the deal for him was done was done back in May. Um, but th- th- this is absurd. There's a, there's a price at which Di Maria makes sense for United, and there's a price at which um, you know you, you should not be doing the deal because you know you don't necessarily need him. Uh, is he thinking to keep it at a three five two and play Di Maria uh, on the wing, thinking he can get up and down all season long? I'm not sure. For all his work rate, I'm not sure he can do that. Um, did you play Di Maria in a, in a central position like he played late in the season for Real Madrid last year? Uh, okay, but then what do you do with, with Juan Mata? I mean, there's so many questions. And yeah, this does smack like somebody um, sort of pushing this Di Maria story. And if the, the, the PSG said he was too expensive for them, um, they were quoting sort of 70 million range. You look at Di Maria's age and you ask yourself, 70 million pounds? Really? Um, it's... It makes no sense at all, and and again, you know, I think a lot of this is, is that's not coincidental um, that Di Maria's agent is George Mendes, who's another one of those guys who can get big deals done, um, and, uh, and 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 seems to dictate a lot of what happens out there. We seem to be down to about three or four agents who control all these top guys. Usually the same names pop up time and again, but that's maybe something we'll discuss in more detail at an, another date. Gabrielli, brilliant, thank you. My pleasure, boys. Gabrielli, really strong there, Ken, and the idea that this is bad for Milan and a no-lose situation for Liverpool. This was the only issue, and this is something that, that John Giles talked about in the past with Balotelli, is that there's not an issue unless he disrupts the dressing room. Mm. And if and then it isn't a no-lose situation. Then even if he performs okay on the pitch, the overall risk-reward ratio maybe is swung the other way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back over Balotelli's career and I can't think of too many instances where he's disrupted the dressing room I don't think he's had he's reasonably popular he, I mean, okay he fought he had a fight with Roberto Mancini maybe that counts as disrupting the dressing room when you're wrestling you're grappling with your manager or training <laughs> um, but you know 
he 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 is popular with his teammates. You know, he hasn't had. I, don't, I can't think of. I can't think of any poisonous problems. No, resulting. it's mostly. It's just that he's been a disappointment. You do, Mario, more so than to your teammates. Sorry, you do it to yourself. Yeah, Mario. he's he's he, those he, fireworks were damaging nobody but potentially Mario, his house, and his friends. <laughs> <laughs> he's a chronic disappointment. That's that's been the problem with him, and 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 it is it is fair to say that okay, he's he's twenty four, um, and there's every possibility of him maybe becoming more consistent, or you know maybe uh, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think he really cares all that much. I mean, he's got he's got a he's been a hugely talented guy all his life who I think has been able to coast. I think he's kind of been able to um almost reach the top level of the game without making the sort of effort that a lot of a lot of players have to make. He he's never really developed the habit of, you know, consistency. He's he's usually just in a different mind space. I mean, the the image that I think of with Balotelli is the 2011 FA Cup semi-final in, in which he maybe was given man of the match after that match. I'm not sure. Toure scored the goal. It was Man City, Man United. And uh, and after the game, uh, well, after the end of the game, Man City had won. Balotelli said something to Rio Ferdinand or something like this. And what you've got is this was this amazing scene where the Manchester United players were going nuts. No. Um, and they, they were all grabbing Balotelli, you know, trying to have a go. There was Anderson there. There was Nani. There was oh, the heavy Rio hitters. Ferdinand. <laughs> um, but there's kind a great, of guy if you really want to meet down a back alley. There's a great <laughs> photo of it. And I, I, if I, I'm trying to think, is Roda Mancini involved in the photo as well? Essentially, all of these guys are in kind of uh, pushing and shoving each other around Balotelli. And every one of them, has, his face is contorted and, and, and he's screaming. Apart from Mario Balotelli, who's just got this totally calm, um, this complete serene expression on his face. And it's, it's just like, he's always kind of the opposite to what everyone else is. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's just uh, he, he's it's a, it's an amazing thing that he's got. I mean, whether he, I think he could well be a good player for Liverpool, but you know, the odds are that as with every other club that he's been at, you know, it's not. But see, the thing is, he do, he if he flatters only to deceive at Liverpool for sixteen million quid, it's still good. It's still good. Yeah. I mean, if you're asking me right now, who's going to have a bigger impact on Liverpool's season, Adam Lallana? Or Mario Balotelli. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question. I, I mean, mean Lallana costs like, nearly ten million more. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's older. Lallana is two years older than Balotelli. There is the twenty-four years he? of age, so you're not going to, unless it spectacularly blows up, uh, you're probably going to sell him for a similar fee. Or as Gabrielli mentioned, if he, he goes through the roof, then the fee. So suddenly you've got him, yeah. one of the world's best players in your hands. So and he's going to move in three years. I mean, you're selling him at twenty-seven. Just the latest on that is that they have agreed that fee, sixteen million between the clubs. Um, Balotelli, uh, they have to still finalise the personal terms. That side of things, according to BBC here, this is as we speak, um, mid-afternoon, Milan said in a statement, Mario Balotelli left Milanello's sporting centre at half one local time after saying goodbye to his teammates before leaving the premises. The striker said goodbye to members of Milan's press office. So Milan's yeah. press office just making it clear that we're all good pals with Mario Balotelli. Well, uh, you do have to say that this is a pretty interesting signing. You know, yeah. whatever. I mean, Liverpool may or may not win the league this season, but a lot of people There's are going to want to be watching... <laughs> to see what happens now. Yeah, and I mean, they have a better chance. I, th- now I think than they with, had definitely, definitely, you know, Balotelli, uh, Sturridge, Coutinho, Sterling. It's it's pretty interesting forward line. A pretty interesting day. Great stories today. Hopefully, more of those throughout the season. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Aaron. thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks Thank so much for listening. You can drop us an email, secondcaptainsatirishtimes.com. You can check us out on facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains or follow us on Twitter at Second Captains. Take care and enjoy the other show we have out there today. We preview the All-Ireland Football semi-finals between Kerry and Mayo. 
on that one. Bye. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.